Welcome to Actual Advisor Value, the behind-the-scenes look at how fiduciary financial advisors enrich baby boomers' lives. I'm Taylor DeMars, a third-generation financial advisor and certified financial planner, making a positive impact on hundreds of retirees. Join me to hear short, specific stories of how I address the issues baby boomers like you face and consider, could this help me or someone I know? Today, I'm looking forward to recapping a conversation I had with a bit of two clients recently. I met with Roger and Annette recently, and and it came down to estate planning. And I hope I'm not coming off the beaten path here and you're thinking, why is a financial advisor talking so much about estate planning recently? Hopefully in today's stories, it'll exemplify how important of an issue it is and how too few people don't bring it up. It's a sensitive issue, right? To talk about what you're going to do with your assets, that what you've worked for and saved for a lifetime. And emotions can run high when it comes down to what you're going to do with that when you pass. And that conversation came up today uh, with Roger in particular. And we had our regular discussion, a regular review, went through a variety of items. But there are always things that I bring up to make sure we're on the same page about. And, and I think some clients think it's because I have nothing else that's on my mind. And it's really not the case. There are certain items that I bring up often like this. I And, and today I asked, well, let's review your beneficiaries on your IRA, for example, Roger. And I went through and said, we've got three children, X, Y, and Z, and you have them uh, all as equal beneficiaries. And mind you, this was at the end of the conversation, right? This was almost like an afterthought. I meant to bring it up earlier in the conversation, but the discussion went all over. But I wanted to make sure I brought it up, and so I did. And so this was at the end of the conversation, and and when I asked what I thought would be just a check-the-box kind of question, make sure we're on the same page and move on, he paused and thought, and he said, I'm glad you brought that up. And he seemed sad about it, and I was worried that I had crossed the line, but he had said that, one of his daughters had brought up some family drama that he wasn't really happy about. For the sake of his privacy, I won't go into detail, of course, but he went on to explain that he had been pondering on the decision to go ahead and exclude her as a beneficiary from his IRA in his estate and brought up a little bit of a conversation, what are the implications, the pros and cons from a financial standpoint. In the end, I don't know her, and even if I did, it's none of my business whether it goes to her or not. But I said, no pressure. We can make this change. It's super simple. I can print off the paperwork today and get that done or get it done for an electronic signature at your convenience later on. And he decided to just sit and think about it for a minute. And, and he said, no, I, I want to make a change. So he said, okay. We brought out the paperwork. And within 30 seconds later, he had signed the paperwork and just divided the IRA between his two other children. Now, why does this matter? Why am I bringing up this story? I think it's relevant because I didn't pressure him, of course, to make a change, but I brought up the topic that I think he may have felt was too sensitive and embarrassing to bring up. He he felt embarrassed to bring up the topic of family drama, but it was obvious that he felt strongly enough about it that he wanted to make a change. And I assured him that not only could we make a change easily today, but should he change his mind in the future, we can make a modification back to how it was before. But there are some key points to keep in mind when it comes to how an IRA's beneficiaries are set up in relation to the estate plan. Specifically, I remind clients or educate them that if you want your IRA a certain way, let's say, for example, he had remembered to update his IRA and say, I want everything to go to my two other children and not this other third daughter. But he had not updated his will, and it still said go to each of the children equally in thirds. 
When it comes to settle the estate, the beneficiaries of an IRA overrides a will. And it's up to him whether he wants to make those agree with each other or keep the way that things are in the will and the IRA different, but but it's a key distinction to know important to bring up. Zooming out a bit, I think it's important that a financial advisor brings this value to the table by you know, just reviewing the estate plan. You say, gosh, why do I need to review the estate plan once or twice a year at least? How often does it change? It's a good question. And I think that at least with the baby boomer clients that we work with, life changes a surprising amount, right? People pass away. Assets get moved around. I had a client who, who sold their forever lake cabin recently, and that was a you know significant six-figure check that came their way, and that was in a his and her marriage that the Johnsons brought in. And so that, that could significantly alter not only their finances today, but also their estate plan in the future because may have, they may have planned on the cabin being put in there one way. And if you don't bring it up and think about it, you just keep the status quo. But now there's a significant amount of cash that's been redistributed in the estate. And how does that change things? So I think our own lives can change over the long term. When you work with a financial advisor, they're familiar with your preferences, your lifestyle, your family situation. And so when things come up like a marriage in the family or a divorce, we had a client that just in the past week had a divorce after two plus decades of marriage and we needed to help him make some changes to his estate because of that. Or family conflict, like I explained in Roger's scenario. There, there are changes in our own personal lives. But in addition to that, there are changes out of our control, taxes and laws that could affect how we manage our estate. For example, there was the, the Secure 2.0 Act that was passed back in December of 2022. So it's relatively new legislation, right? Secure Act 1.0 was passed in the end of 2019. Next phase 2.0 was passed in 2022, making changes to RMDs and a variety of other things that we probably shouldn't get sidetracked into in this episode today, but can significantly impact the way you think about your estate plan. And unless you're a nerd like I am, you're probably not going to keep up on that legislation and not only that, but how it affects you personally. So there are things outside of your bubble or your world that may affect your estate plan that's worth reviewing, even if nothing in your own world has changed. So just to recap a few of those points there, it's important to review your estate plan regularly because life happens. The only constant is change. That's number one. Number two, there can be changes to your assets. Things like if you use all the funds within a certain account and start drawing funds from another account to sustain your lifestyle or other changes within your income, right? Things can happen within your assets that may make you rethink your estate plan. That's number two. And number three, there are things outside of our control, outside of our own prerogative that may influence how we can control our estate plan that a financial advisor who's keeping up on on a regular basis can trust and verify that's the plan. And if changes are needed, we can make them accordingly. One thing that I find is helpful for clients is not only saying, hey, here's your IRA and things are divided up, say, in thirds or fourths or halves amongst these people in your family or your relationships, but you can also break it down by dollar amount. I, I Again, I nerd out, so I talk in percentages a lot, but what it really means for the clients individually is taught, let me tell me in dollars, tell me in dollars and cents what that actually means. So when you say, hey, you have a million dollar IRA today, right? Just to keep them a number simple, of course. And it gets split across your four children. They're each going to get a quarter million dollars rather than just saying it's 25% each. And that number is never so easy to calculate, which is why it's important to be able to say, hey, it's this much today. And this is how much it's distributed to each of your children. If you were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, 
and this is how much it fluctuates a year from now, etc. Another layer of complexity that an advisor can assist with when it comes to estate planning is how each of your assets are treated from a tax standpoint upon passing to the next heir or generation. For example, I've mentioned that I had Annette come in recently, and she loves her children to death and her three grandchildren, and she wants to take care of them. She says she goes on these walks and she wrestles through her brain, all the problems, and then she comes in to meet with me and we iron them out together. And I think I helped her with some of those, which is what I wanted to share today is in regards to the taxes that her children would incur upon her passing. She's got a variety of different assets around and a significant estate size. So she wanted to know, am I burdening them? Am I giving them a curse of sorts with taxation upon my passing? Which is a fair question, right? Most people don't have to worry about that. The federal state tax exemption is around $12.6 million today. So most of us don't have that size of a net worth that we have to be worried about being taxed above that amount. Washington state, where we are, has a lower exemption amount. But all the same, that's one thing that she was worried about. So we ruled that out. But another thing was to say, okay, why don't I just gift my lake cabin and my primary residence to my children while I'm still around? Won't that help them out? Won't that give them a benefit? And we had to step back for a moment and say, if if we really are worried about this from a tax standpoint, the answer is no. That's not the best thing for them. And we went through the steps to talk through what is a step up in basis, meaning to make the math simple, she bought her lake cabin at $100,000 years ago, right? Fast forward today, there's only so much lakefront property in the world today. So her asset has significantly appreciated. And I think it was around $700,000 on the Zillow estimate. And I said, if you were to pass on that asset to your children, as you're still alive, someday when they go on to sell it, they're going to be liable for that appreciation from the time that you purchased it, right? $600,000 worth of gains today. Ouch. That, that quickly bumps you up into the 20% capital gains rate, right? Depending on the individual situation, but that can be a significant tax. What if we did nothing, right? What if you just passed away someday and passed on both the primary residence and the lake cabin to your children and take advantage of the step up in basis? What's that? Well, step up in basis is no longer will the IRS recognize how much you paid for that home or property when it goes on to your children but instead do an appraisal of the property to say, how much could we sell that for today? And that is the new basis. So say if you pass away and it's worth $700,000 upon that time, any amount that they sell it for above that amount would be considered capital gains, which is a huge benefit, right? $600,000 worth of capital gains just erased from a taxation standpoint. And it's how some consider the ultra wealthy to build wealth, which is to Buy, borrow, die. Now, this is no strategy that I am endorsing by any means. But just to prove a point, the extreme form that some of the ultra-wealthy families out there do it, they they buy a significant asset, they buy, and then they borrow. So they borrow a lot of money and pay very little cash to actually acquire it, but they finance the rest of it. And they never worry about the debt during their lifetime. And then upon their passing, whatever that value of the property is, that is the new basis rather than however much the, bo- the property was worth upon their purchasing of it. So buy, borrow, and they die, passing on to their children. Again, taking advantage of that step up in basis. I'm not going to call it a loophole. It's just an advantage of the tax code that the ultra-rich take care of. So can us as everyday people. So coming back full circle to Annette, 
I explained to her that the best thing to do from a taxation standpoint regarding her two properties is to let sleeping dogs lie, actually, and let them just pass on to the next generation. And that was one piece of her estate. And then we went through each of her accounts and, and assets to say what would happen from a tax standpoint for her children. And that brought up the subject of her IRA. And going from her ownership to her children's ownership, an IRA becomes an inherited IRA. Can't they consolidate that into their own IRAs? Well, the answer is no, actually, because they are now subject to their own required minimum distribution schedule of 10 years. Didn't that used to be during their whole lifetime? Yes. Yes, it did. It used to be called a stretch IRA. But guess what? The impatient IRS started to wring their hands and say, no, an inherited IRA has to be liquidated entirely within 10 years. Okay. So again, zooming out to a financial advisor reviewing the estate plan uh, can bring out different questions and may cause a client to rethink how they're structuring their estate plan based on the taxes of, say, a bank account, of which there's no taxes, life insurance proceeds, of which there's no taxes, property and assets, of which there's a step-up in basis, which can be significant from a tax perspective, especially in contrast to an inherited IRA, where one has to pull it out. We'll say I'm a child is in their 40s. They're not even really going to be close to retirement, potentially, within 10 years, yet they still have to take out the entire amount and be taxed on it the entire way. So the difference between a million-dollar home being inherited and a million-dollar IRA being inherited from a parent is significant from a tax standpoint. And those things are important to weigh depending on the complexity and the wishes of an estate plan. And lastly, as to just wrap things up from a financial advisor's perspective and involvement on a baby boomer's life, I think it reduces a lot of anxiety for the client when I, as the financial advisor, get to meet their children. And many clients' children become clients of ours as well, you know, right now, which they don't have to be, but all the same, just having a simple Zoom conversation, right? I just set up, hey, let's just have a 15-minute introduction and maybe ask a random question or two. But at, a, at the very minimum, I think it does ease a lot of tension for both our clients as well as their children who are most likely their executors to say, hey, this is our guy. This is who we talk to about all our stuff. Maybe the children do or do not know much about the, the parents' finances. They don't have to be brought up in that conversation, but at the, the least, I, I hate to meet my client's children at their funeral. That's not the cheery place. We want to start to get to know each other. It's much easier when we're together and they can see that there's a trusted relationship there that they can confide in because I, I, I advise a lot of clients' children nearly every time on their inherited assets, whether they you know continue to work with us or not, but things like this inherited IRA and to say, hey, this is the tax implication of this significant asset you now have, and here's some ideas of how to manage it according to your situation. But at the very minimum, to be able to say, hey, here is, say, Taylor in this case, and he's been our guy, don't hesitate to give him a call, and here's his card if or when you, you need to reach out to him. I know I've touched on a variety of topics here, and this episode came out to be longer than I expected, but I just felt like it was relevant to package several good nuggets of examples of the value an advisor brings when it comes to reviewing from a third-party perspective who is really unbiased as to where your assets go and just to make sure that everything is according to your wishes and we're on the same page. And come to think of it, I could be wrong, but I doubt many people speak so openly about their assets and their estate plan to people in general other than a professional, right? And even then, I doubt that those conversations are had with people who have biased interest 
on what that estate plan is. And as a financial advisor, I obviously have no preference from a monetary standpoint, how, when, or to whom assets are distributed. So being able to provide that informed and educated third-party perspective, I think brings a lot of value to clients as they're evaluating these significant decisions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and the experiences shared in this podcast may not be representative of all clients, as each individual's situation is unique. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for making financial, legal, tax, or investment decisions.